Before we begin today, let's open up in prayer. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you for this opportunity to be here with one another. And we pray, God, that we would have um, eyes to see and ears to hear where you're at work with us today, where you're longing to work in our hearts, lives, and homes. I pray today that we would be connected to you and that your life would flow through each of us, that much good fruit would come from this time together. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, have you ever seen one of those shampoo commercials? You know the ones I'm talking about where in the first frame, someone has lifeless, dull, boring hair, and then they try this magic shampoo, and all of a sudden their hair's glowing and bright and flowing and free, and they're enjoying all the activities that people with great hair do, apparently. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Have you ever thought for a second about what hair really is? That when we have a hair on our head, we can, we can think, oh, wow, I'm so beautiful today. My hair looks great. Or if, we're, if we see somebody um, whose hair we really admire or like, we say, wow, you have great hair. What kind of shampoo do you use? What, what do you do to get your hair so shiny and lustrous and bright? Wow, you look so beautiful with your hair like that. And we can compliment each other on our hair. We can compliment ourselves on our own hair. We can think that it's a really attractive feature. But have you ever been in the shower and <laughs> there's hair in the drain. Ooh, that's gross, right? Or have you ever found, unfortunately, a hair in your food? Yeah, a totally different feeling, right? One feeling is, oh, wow, hair is so beautiful. And the other feeling is, that's disgusting. Get it away from me. <laughs> so the same thing, but producing two different feelings. Why is that? Well, when our hair is connected to our head, it seems like it's alive. It's part of us. It's, it's, you know, it might be dead, but it's growing. It's attached to, to life. But when it's detached from us, when it's in our bathtub or when it's in our food, places that it's not supposed to be, we really see hair for what it is, that it's actually pretty dead and lifeless and useless apart from being attached to the body. And so today we're going to look at a scripture and it's one that's very familiar, but I want you to keep that analogy of hair in mind as we look at it. We're going to look at John chapter 15 and what it means to be attached to the vine who is Christ. And just in the same way that hair loses its value, loses its worth, loses its attractiveness, um, unattached from our heads, the same way we as branches need to be attached to the vine, need to be connected to the vine that is Christ. So let's read here in John chapter 15. John 15, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as also I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me." I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what we see here is that Jesus is letting the disciples know 
who he really is. So the first thing we're gonna look at is the real vine. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the real vine. The implication here is that there are counterfeit vines. In Israel, the vine was often um, an analogy for Israel itself. All throughout the Old Testament, we see different scriptures where Israel's referred to as a vine. And even the temple had a quite ornate golden vine that was all around the entranceway. And everyone was familiar with this idea of Israel being the vine, that that the fruitful vine. And Jesus takes that familiar imagery to the, in that context and he flips it on its head and he says, no, actually, I am the true vine. I am the real vine. So here's a question I want you to hold open in your heart before the Lord during this sermon today. I want you to ask yourself, what are the counterfeit vines that I have been attaching myself to? What are some of the counterfeit vines that we attach ourselves to in society today? The things that we look to for our significance, the things we look to for our worth and our value, the things that we place our hope in. Are there any counterfeit vines that are common today? What are some of the things that we look to and we long for that we put our hope and our time and our trust in other than Christ? So I'll give you a few minutes to discuss that together and then we'll come back together and um, jump right in. So hopefully in your discussion, you're able to identify some of these things that we put our hope and our value and trust in other than Christ. So when Jesus says, I am the real vine, I am the true vine, he's really telling us that he is the source. He is the supplier. He is our provider. All that we need is found in him. All that we're going to have need of is found in him. He is the vine. When you think of of an actual vine that grapes grow on. The vine is at the center. The vine is central. Everything else is secondary and even unnecessary in a way because without that vine, there is no life. There is no life going into those branches and producing that fruit. Without that vine, as Jesus says, you you can do nothing apart from me. And so we need this real vine. And sometimes part of that is recognizing that we have rooted and grounded our lives in something or someone other than Jesus. And this can happen so subtly. And we can be thinking that we're rooted and grounded in Christ, that we're attached to the vine, that we're, that we're with him. But we've suddenly found our security in our bank account and in that number that we see each month. And if that's gone, we suddenly lose our security. We suddenly feel very insecure and unstable. Or we can have our security now in a relationship. We think if I'm connected to this relationship, then I my life will be worth living. Then my life will be, I'll prove my worth. And so we can connect to people. We can connect to things other than Christ. And we can try to find our life source from it. Even, even something so good, like a spouse, we could try to connect so deeply with our spouse. It's like, this is where I'm going to get my significance from. This relationship is what's going to make me uh, make my life worth living is going to help help me to become the person I'm meant to be. And yes, relationships can be a good thing. And yes, money is not necessarily a bad thing. It is the love of money. And so it's where is our heart and who has our heart? 
Is it first and foremost, Jesus Christ? Or have we put our faith and our hope and our trust in other vines, in counterfeit vines that were never meant to sustain us? Who and what are the counterfeit vines that we've attached ourselves to? And so once we discover what those are, we can say, we can repent of that. We can turn away from that and say, Lord, forgive me for attaching to any other thing, calling it the vine in my life when it's not, when only you are, when you are the source, when you are the one I need to be connected to. And the second thing we see here is when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he calls us to remain in him. So we have the real vine and we're called to remain in him. This word remain, some other translations says it's abide, which is this word meno, which means stay right where you are. It's almost as if you picture um, a young child who's ready to run across the street and the parent says, no, stay here. Hey, stop, stay here. Don't go because the parent knows that that right beside them is the safest place to be, that right beside them will preserve their life, that everything that they need is with their parent. If they're with their parent, they have all that they need. They're safe, they're secure, they're protected, they're provided for. So stay here, remain here. And sometimes you have to say that to to those of you who don't have kids, but you have a dog or a pet. You say to your dog, hey, stay, 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 stay. (laughs) And and they know that if they listen to you, that maybe something good's coming their way, maybe a treat or something like that. Or maybe you're saying that for their protection because you know that, that they're ready to run off into traffic. And so we say these things to our children. We say these things to our pets, this stay, this remain. We say these things for a reason. And in John 15, Jesus is saying this to his disciples stay in me remain in me because why you can't bear fruit by yourself you can't do good works for God without being first in God and in Christ and we have to remain there we can't just start there some of us you know we start there we have this relationship with God we get all excited when we first um, encounter Christ when we accept him into our lives as our Lord and Savior we can get all excited and we can be feeding off the initial emotion just like as of when you first enter into a relationship and you're in that honeymoon infatuation stage and everything's so wonderful and everything that person does is so wonderful and you can't wait to tell everyone about that You're feeding off that emotional high of this being a new thing and the momentum that comes from that. But then you reach a stage in your relationship where you have to start accepting things about each other that aren't necessarily what you first imagined this perfect person to be. And when it comes to your relationship with Christ, what can happen is we can reach a point where we start to think, hey, this, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, this is not this is not like rainbows and unicorns and and fluffy clouds and cotton candy, Jesus. Like there's some hard things that you're asking me to do. There's some things you're asking me to let go of or to give up. And I don't know if I'm ready to do that. And he says, remain in me. Stay here. Don't drift off. Don't go to another vine. Don't try to seek something shinier or brighter or 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 get lost because that initial emotional burst is not there. But no, this is the time where we discipline ourselves. This is the time where we really dig in and we connect deeper to him. The times where it feels dry in your relationship with God and where you're unsure of where he even is or what he's doing, remain in him. Don't go seek something else to give you a better high or or more of a stronger emotional feeling. 
No, this is the time to remain in him, to stay where you are, to finish strong. So he says, remain in me, remain in my words and remain in my love. Coming up soon here at Encounter, we have something called God in Daily Life. And this will be an opportunity for each of us to put this passage into practice, to, to remain in him each day, to set up some disciplines in order to help us to put into practice what it looks like to remain in God, to remain in his word, and to remain in his love. It is those little daily habits that actually create who we become. And what are our habits with God? Do we have daily practices put into place that help to ensure this, the life of this relationship? I was listening to um, two psychologists that are quite famous uh, researchers in the area of love and relationships, the Gottmans, and they have a very famous Gottman theory of marriage and what makes a marriage successful and not. And one of the things that they found in their research was that it's actually the daily little moments that add up to a successful marriage, that couples who paid attentive interest to these little moments in each other's lives were the couples that were uh, had more long-term success and less likely to divorce. The couples that had those daily habits of noticing each other, of affection, of attention. And it was these daily little small things that mattered more even than these spectacular big gestures. And I think the same can be said of our relationship with Christ, that sometimes it's the little moments that add up and make this solid and firm foundation. It's these moments of remaining in Him day by day, minute by minute, remaining in Him when we don't feel like it, getting up and saying, this is my, this is my practice, this is my discipline. This is my rhythm of life where I get up and I spend time in his word, in the scripture, allowing him to speak to me, where I spend time before I go to bed in prayer and, and meditation, thinking on and thanking him for the things that he has done in my life that day, the ways that he's been present, repenting and asking for forgiveness for the times where I've missed the mark. These daily moments that we spend attached to the vine, remaining in the vine, perhaps in the middle of your work day, on your lunch break, just asking God to make his presence known to you, waiting and receiving something from him, a gift from him to be able to share with other people kindness and these moments of allowing his, the fruit of the spirit to come out in our life. What is your, what does it look like day by day in your life? Do you remain in him only on Sunday mornings? <laughs> is this your only time remaining in him? Then what's going to happen is you are not going to be able to produce fruit. You have to Stay in him and remain in him. Not just come visit the vine when we you know when it's the appropriate time, but every day, moment by moment, seeing him in your everyday life. And I really hope that our God in daily life uh, experience will provide an opportunity for each of us to remain in him day by day. So what happens when the the branches are remaining in the vine? Something that we see. Uh, Jesus talking about here is how his father is a gardener and something that I've learned along the way about vines and and the way that they're cared for is that 
a vine dresser or a gardener will often notice that when when the branches are sinking down when sometimes there's too much foliage there's an overgrowth of leaves that are not necessary and this vine is just hanging on the ground and what happens when when the when the branches are dragging on the ground because there's overweighed by too much excess uh, foliage is that they get dirty is that they can get broken and they start, they start sagging. And so what the gardener does is the gardener comes and he lifts up this sunken down vine, these branches that are, that are hanging low to the ground. And what he does is when he lifts it up, he begins to prune away all the excess, all the things that are weighing down those branches and keep them from producing fruit. And so what actually, it takes about three years for um, a vine and its branches to begin to produce fruit. And what happens in those three years is just massive uh, pruning. The gardener comes and he cuts away all, all the things that look good. Like there's all this green green looks like life, but really the gardener knows that unless they cut away those things that seem important, that that, 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 um, those branches will not bear fruit because they'll be overloaded and they'll fall to the ground. They won't get enough sunlight. And so a good gardener will lift up that vine, put it on a trellis, allow it to grow and cut away at the excess. And doesn't God sometimes do that in our lives? There's things growing in our lives. Our lives might look really full and really busy and really great from the outside. But God knows that those things are weighing us down. That God knows what is necessary and what is just extra. (laughs) And sometimes God comes and he takes his pruning shears and he starts cutting away at things that we say, hey, wait, that was good growth there. What are you doing? And he's cutting back and cutting back and cutting back. And he might be um, cutting relationships or he might be um, cutting our focus out of certain areas that we had spent so much time. We've been so busy on this project and it had just become all consuming. And sometimes God just starts cutting things away that we think, no, those were good things, God. Why can't I have those things? And he says, I have something better for you. Focus on our connection before going to focus on other connections. And so he starts cutting away these things. And he, he, he's taking care. The gardener's taking good care of those branches so that they can then produce fruit as they remain connected to the vine. So he also cuts away what's called what are called sucker branches. There's these branches that grow up that look like they are part of um, they're going to grow good fruit. But the gardener knows the difference between a branch that's meant to be there and a sucker branch that basically just takes the life and doesn't and isn't going to be fruitful, isn't going to produce anything. And so the gardener cuts those things off in order that all that remains, even though it looks like it's really stripped bare. All that remains is good for growth, is good for bearing fruit. And maybe you're in a season right now where it feels like God has just stripped your life bare, where it feels like it's down to the bare essentials. And you're looking at your life and you're wondering, how did I even get here? God, what are you doing? What are you making of my life? How will my life ever bear the fruit I desire it to? How will my life ever look like someone else's branch over there? And God's just just remain in me. Just allow me to do my work in you. And my work in you might look different than my work in somebody else in this season, but trust it. Remain in me. Sometimes we underrate God's work in our life because it looks so different than how we expected it to. 
but we can trust the love and the care and the goodness of the gardener who is the father God of Jesus who is this vine that we're connected to. We can trust that all that we have need of is in him. Hebrews 12 verses 5 to 10 says this, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. This pruning, this discipline of the Lord, this training, he's training us to be fruit bearers. He's pruning away the things that are unnecessary, the things that maybe we thought were necessary. And he's allowing us to see what really matters, what really is essential is that connection we have to him. Sometimes we've put our trust in our status, in our education, in our workplace, in our occupation, in our in as much in the money that we can um, produce, in our relationships, in how we appear to other people, in our comfort, in our body image, in in um, the image we project to others, and we put our trust and our hope in all these other things, and all these other areas, and all these other people. And again, it's like a counterfeit vine. That we're connecting to something that won't give us ultimate life. And God knows that. And he calls us back to himself. And even the discipline of cutting those things off that we thought were good so that we can realize what is necessary and what is best. Even that is an act of love and an act of care because he knows that those things will eventually just strangle out the new life he's growing in us. And so he wants us to be separated from those things. And not that the leaves will never grow back. Of course they will in the proper time and in the proper season. But for now, we have to trust his good work. Kent Hughes has this quote where he says, quote, God's hand is never closer than when he prunes the vine. That's when his hand is so close, is so intimately involved. And this father that is the gardener comes and prunes us because he is close to us. C.S. Lewis reminds us that, quote, he who has God plus many things has nothing more than he who has God alone. God alone is what matters most in our life. Sometimes we can get distracted by all the good things that we have. And we need to keep our focus and our attention. And we need to keep remaining in the vine. So we have the real vine. We have to remain in it. And the result is fruit. The result of all this pruning is fruit that will last. The result of his good work in our lives, the result of remaining connected to him is fruit that will last. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 says this, His divine power has given us 
everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He has given us everything we need for a godly life. He has given us everything we need to bring him glory, to live a good life, a life that pleases him. It's his divine power, not our own goodness. That branch cannot bear fruit by itself. That branch could strive and try all day long to bear fruit and it never would on its own. That branch is not good for anything. You can't um, take a, a branch off a vine and carve something out of it. It's not kind of carving wood. Its only purpose, its only destiny is to bear fruit, to remain connected to the vine and to bear fruit. And so Jesus is saying this in John 15. He's saying that apart from him, we can do nothing. Our worth and our value is connected intimately and inextricably connected into him. And the result will be fruit. This inward fruit of the Holy Spirit we see in Galatians 5. This love, this joy, this peace, this patience kindness, gentleness, and self-control, this fruit of the Holy Spirit will be born out of our lives. It will come right out of that connection, not out of our doing and our striving to do more and more for God, but our resting in God. And that fruit will naturally be produced. It will naturally come forth. That's the internal fruit. And then we have the external fruit, this external fruit of how, how these internal fruits are manifest in our behavior. Are we loving one another? Are we kind to each other? Are we patient with ourselves, with one another? Do we have self-control in in our actions and in our words and our speech and the things we say? Do we hold back when we really just want to go off on someone? Do we have that self-control to hold back? Are we people of peace? Are we people of faithfulness? Are we faithful even when it's difficult? How are these inward fruits manifest outwardly? This is the result of remaining in the vine. And so we have to stay connected to him at all times. He is the real vine and we remain in him. We will produce and the result will be fruit. Sometimes what is most underrated in our lives is this connection to the vine because we overrate all our other connections. Sometimes what is most underrated in our lives is the ability to remain because we're so busy striving and trying to do things for God and we need to remain in him. And sometimes what is underrated is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the results that he wants in us. It is not necessarily the outward accolades and achievements and success that the world might measure us by, but rather it is how he sees us, how he sees our heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at our heart. Is our heart remaining in the vine? Phil Vischer, who created um, Veggie Tales, many of you might be familiar with, he has an unbelievable story, if you read his autobiography, just of coming from the height of creating Christian Disney all the way to the lows of hitting bankruptcy and what he learned along this journey. And one of the things that he learned was that He needs to remain in the vine that what precedes good work is a good God, (laughs) not the other way around. We don't work to earn God's favor, but we have God's love, we God's favor. And so we work from his love, not for it. This is what Phil Vischer learned. And one of the things he said is this, quote, God doesn't love me because of what I can do for him. He just loves me 
even when I've done nothing at all. Rather than finding my identity in my relationship with God, I was finding it in my drive to do good work. And so he realized that he needed to remain in God's love. Are you remaining in God today? Are you connected to him? If you're having trouble doing that in a practical sense, I invite you to join with us when we do God in Daily Life beginning on March 24th so that we can practically walk this out as a community. What does this look like on a daily basis? So let's pray together. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we ask that you give us the grace to remain in you, that you would help us to look to you, the real and true vine, and not to the counterfeits that are tempting us all around. And I pray that we would see the result of good fruit and that we wouldn't give up right before the finish line, that we wouldn't faint and lose heart before we see those results. Because God, we, we know that your eye is on that and we just have to have our eyes on you. In your name we pray, amen.